When I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now, what's the plan now? Gotta move on, those days are gone now. Take me back. I've always been afraid to tell this story just because, you know, it was kind of a dangerous story. It was sort of like the law was involved. It got real muddy and dirty. And, but the story kind of got out because it happened in a public place and there were, uh, you know, some famous people involved and I figured, you know what, I'm just going to be fucking transparent on this thing and that's what I'm doing and the theme of the story is do not get involved in something that has nothing to do with you and the other theme is don't be a hero and I fucked up I tried to be a hero one night while I was doing a uh, a show I was on the microphone and trouble broke out and I tried to be a hero and the truth is it didn't work out for me. And I'm going to tell you the story, and it goes a little something like this. I started hosting a, let's call it a comedy night. I was hosting a comedy night in uh, Los Angeles, and things were going great. The night was becoming popular. It was becoming an amazing night. Celebs were showing up. Hugh Hefner and the Playmates had a table in the back. Penny Marshall sitting to the side. Mariah Carey's hanging out. All kinds of motherfuckers, and it's becoming like the hot spot. Places being written up in People Magazine. People are coming in. I'm doing comedy where the people are doing karaoke. It's just becoming a fun night in Hollywood, and I'm the host. And I get to be the host because my boys kind of own the place, and they ran the place. Well, they didn't own the place. They ran the place. They promoted the place. And I had actually never met the actual owner of the place. I had heard stories about the guy, but I never met the owner. So one night, we're having a blast. It's fun. I look in the corner. There's Toby Maguire, Kevin Connolly, Leo. It's star-studded, fun-packed, drunk-ass Paris Hilton wants to sing karaoke. She's five feet to the right. I get word from someone that Mariah Carey wants to do a duet with me because I can rap. I wouldn't sing, but I could definitely rap. So the night's going on, and it's all kinds of fun. And this one dude gets up, and he, he sings a song. He sings some, you know, candle in the wind type of shit. Seemed like a real nice guy, cool dude, sang a song. Thought nothing of it. I'm feeling good. I'm slow sipping tequila, feeling on top of my game, you know, in shape. Just kind of like feeling myself that night. I remember, like, specifically feeling in shape and kind of like, yeah, like, things are good, man. And... The night goes on, and I'm on the microphone, and right in front of my face, the guy that just sang Candle in the Wind gets headbutted and goes sailing across the bar. And I'm looking at him, and my first thought is, what a nice guy. Who would headbutt him? And I look to the left, and some dude in a suit had just sent him sailing. Now, most 8 out of 10 people would never react to this. They just wouldn't. But for some reason, my fucked up DNA, because I'm from Detroit and I come from a, you know, not a, I got some shady people. I know there's some shady people in my ancestry. <clears throat> my dad wasn't shady. My uncles weren't shady. But I come from kind of like a fighting family. I had two great uncles that were boxers. My grandpa owned a sort of a vaudevillian type club that was known to have maybe some hookers in it in Detroit. I knew there was some shady associations going back, you know, a couple of generations. 
I knew that. I knew I'd be on a boat with my grandpa and we'd pull over to the side and he'd get off the boat and go to this house and maybe deliver some money to somebody. And, you know, you just know when you know. I knew I had a great uncle that was involved in, you know, rum running. I had an uncle that had half a thumb. And people used to say, oh, he cut his thumb in a bagel slicing accident. No, he didn't. A bullet blew up in his hand when he was making his own bullets and using dirty guns. I know what's up. Let's just get that out of the way. I know where I'm from. I love where I'm from. I'm good with it. I'm cool. I love my family. There's nothing more fun to me than going back home and just sitting with all my relatives, talking shit and hanging out. So anyway, the night goes on. And the point is, is that if it's in your DNA, it's just in your DNA, man. And so I jumped in the fray and I tried to stop the fight. And I looked at the dude who was headbutting, who had headbutted the dude. And I said, hey, 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 calm down, bro. And I'll never forget this dude looked at me like I wasn't shit. And he was smaller than me. And I'm thinking, man, you got to be really confident to look at someone bigger than you as if they're just not shit. And he waved me off. But he was close enough to me and I could see the veins popping in his neck. He was close enough to me where I thought to myself, this dude might just bite my nose. Like that was my thought. He's going to bite my fucking nose off. And so... We had a few words, exchanged words. I said, yo, what's wrong with you, man? Calm down. He's like, go fuck yourself. I'll kill you, blah, blah, blah. He's like threatening me. And I thought if I just blasted this dude and knocked him out or took him down to the floor, security would take him out of the place and we'd be good. Continue on with the night. He looked through me. I looked through him like, yo, if we're going to do this, I'm swinging first and let's go. And so I did. I swung first, and I connected right on his jaw, and he went sailing into a booth, and it was on. And I took him to the ground, and I did some other dirty shit to him. And I got him on the ground, and this is the corniest shit. I don't know what the fuck made me say this extra corny shit, but I looked at him on the ground when he finally started to wake up, and I said, yo, bro, I run this place. And he looked at me from the ground, wearing a suit, angry as fuck, just waking up after getting blasted. And he said, I own this place. And then all these thoughts started running through my head because I had heard stories about the owner of the place being a badass, being straight up gangster, has a crew. You know what I mean? Real organized crime type of shit. Like, don't fuck with this dude. And as soon as those thoughts started going through my head, I tried to let him get back at me from the ground. Like, so I tried to let him hit me and he was not really connecting. He was throwing punches. He was going at me and he kind of wasn't really hitting me. He was scratching me a little bit and it just wasn't working out for him. And in my mind, I was like, yo, we had a bar fight and it went bad for him. But in his mind, he's like, this dude probably just sucker punched me in a place that I'm an owner of, and I'm going to kill this motherfucker. I'm on the ground. I'm on top of homeboy. I got fucking my friends, artists, poets, dancers, actors, fucking, you know what I mean? A group of sensitive dudes to my right, all coming into the fray, dressed weirdly. And his boys are all suited up, coming from the back of the bar, all in their 50s, ready to kill me. So somehow one of my boys gets me out of the fray and sends me out the back door. And while he sends me out the back door, the last thing I hear is basically like, yo, you just hit John Gotti Jr. It was not John Gotti Jr. at all. It was not him. But it was 
they were just making an analogy and they were basically saying, run. I jump out the back door and I'm running through a neighborhood. I'm running through a neighborhood, literally like something out of a movie. I'm ducking behind houses. I'm hopping fences. I know these dudes are out to get me and I'm fucking scared. I pop out onto like a main thoroughfare road. I see a cab. I jump in a cab. I got scratches on my neck. My hair is fucked up and my car is in valet at the spot. I get in the cab. Cab driver's like, yo, what's wrong with you? I was like, just take me to a comedy club. I go to a comedy club that I'm comfortable with. And I'm going to try to stay away from names on this. But fuck it. Uh, it doesn't matter. I went to the comedy store. My own, my, it's like my home base. I go to the comedy store. First person I see is Sam Tripoli. He's like, yo, what's wrong? I'm like, dude, they're after me. He's like, who? I'm like, I can't talk about it. I got scratches on my neck. I'm bleeding. My shit's fucked up. The comedians are looking at me like, yo, what just happened to you? I'm like, dude, the mob is after me. They're trying to kill me. I was fully terrified. Eddie Griffin's on stage at this point. He's notorious for doing too long on stage, running the light, doing whatever he wants. For some damn reason, this night, Eddie Griffin only does 15 minutes, and I'm going to go next. I don't plan on doing comedy. The manager comes up. He goes, Mike, you're on next. I was like, hell no. I can't go up. Because you could see me from Sunset Boulevard. If you look through the window of the comedy store, you could see who's on stage. So he's like, yo, you got to go on stage. So then my comedy brain kicks in. I'm like, I got to work on my bit. I mean, shit, who knows? Like this, you know, I'm still a comedian at heart. And I get on stage and I fucking get on stage. And there's only like 12 people in the audience. Now I got people after me in the streets. I'm on stage. My shirt's ripped. My shit's bleeding. I look fucked up. I just tell the audience, listen, I'm not, I got no jokes. I'm terrified. There's people looking for me. I just got into a fight in a bar with a really dangerous dude. And they're after me. And the audience doesn't know how to react. They're just looking at me like, what the fuck is this guy even talking about? But he does look messed up. Anyway, I'm getting phone calls. So now my phone's ringing in my pocket. I do my set. It's a very short set. I get off stage. I get a call from Kevin Connolly. Young, you got to get out of town, bro. Bad you just bad move, bad move. You got to get out of, go to Detroit for three weeks. Let this thing blow over. That's it. He fucking tells me, get out of town. So now I'm like looking at flights on my telephone. How can I get out of town? But then I'm like, I'm not leaving town. Because this guy, if this shit's going to go down, it's going to go down. Like... I'm not leaving. Where am I going? I'm coming back. He's not going to let it go. I get another call from one of my boys. Yo, bro, dude can't hear. It said his ears ringing. He's all fucked up. You messed up bad. I call my other boy. I'm like, yo, man, listen, I'm not name dropping, but this is just truth. Uh, My car was stuck in valet. So I texted Leo, who's famous actor. I texted Leo. I was like, yo, please get my car out of there and bring it to the comedy store. So I'm at the comedy store in a full-blown panic. 20 minutes later, Leonardo DiCaprio is driving my Honda Accord up into the comedy store. And it's full of my boys. And they pull into the back. And half the people at the comedy store are like, what the fuck is Leo doing here? The other half are like, why is he driving a Honda? And I'm just like in full-blown panic mode. And they get up. They pull to the back of the comedy store. They're like, dude. You fucked him up, man. That was bad. It's bad. And my other boy in the back wasn't making me feel any better because I boxed as a kid. I've got some skills. I'm not a punk. I know how to throw a punch. It's just a fact. I don't like to fight. I'm not a tough guy. But I learned growing up kind of, you know, just how to defend myself. 
So my boy in the backseat's like, yo, I've never seen a punch like that. That was crazy. I'm like, you're not making me feel any better, man. You're scaring me, actually. Stop talking like that. You're fucking with my head. So Leo gets my, gives me my car. We talk about it. One of my boys who's involved in like bookmaking and some other bullshit, he calls me. He's like, dude, I talked to him. He's starting to get better. He can hear. I, I think maybe you're going to be okay. You might just have to have a sit down, but I got to talk to you. So meet me at, meet me at uh, Swinger's Diner. So I go to Swinger's Diner and I'm like, you know, as I'm telling the story, I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't tell this story. Huh. Isn't that interesting? But I'm going to keep going. Um, I go meet my boy at Swinger's Diner. I meet him. He's like, yo, you might have to take a beating. I'm like, fuck that, bro. Go back to the table. I'm not taking a beating. To me, that shit was just a straight up fight. He lost. I'm not taking a beating. I'm not going in just letting someone beat my ass. I don't play that. I don't give a fuck. So he goes back to the table. He comes back a day later. He's like, all right, yo, I got it down to a sit down. Now, my shit went down on a Wednesday. He's got the sit down set up for a Monday. So in between Wednesday and Monday, I'm making calls back to Detroit. I call my godfather. He's a connected guy. I call my brother. I let him know what's going on. We're going back and forth. I call some people from the East Coast that I know that are in that world. And, you know, look, it's just when you're... The weird thing about doing comedy and being any kind of entertainer is there's bad motherfuckers that like you. You're making people laugh. It's like the bonus of it all. Like, there's very dangerous people I've gotten to meet over the years, and I'm sure all comedians who've been on the road or have done things, they all know people like this, and they get love. And so I kind of made a few phone calls to some people that were high up in that world, I told them what happened, and they said, yo, we'll go in, we'll make sure nothing happens, and we'll squash it. He'll know who we are, and we'll make sure nothing happens. So then I get a call saying that his eardrum was ruptured, that I fucked his ear up, and he can't hear, and it's, he's in the hospital, in and out, and it's, it's, it's bad. So I know, as just a sensible human being, that if you rupture a dude's eardrum who's a dangerous guy who doesn't want to be fucked with and you do it in a place that he owns, he's going to get you back. He doesn't play by rules. He doesn't live by the code. There's no code anymore. There's code's gone. And so I made an executive decision on my own to fucking man up and go in. And I lied to my boys and I said, yo, I'm okay. I'm going to a public place. There's going to be people around. I'm good. Thank you anyway. They're like, okay. And I said, if you just don't hear from me by 3.30, then maybe you could start inquiring and maybe go to the place, his place of business and see what's up. So in between Wednesday and Monday, I've got all kinds of shit happening. I'm, I'm meeting with my boys. I'm taking long walks. I'm, I'm, they're worried. I'm worried. A couple of my boys are like, yo, I can't believe we made it to a sit down. You're going to be okay. This is crazy. And the day of the sit down comes. We meet up at Leo's house, and I'm up at Leo's house. There's like five of my boys are up there, and we're I'm pacing back and forth, and a couple of my boys are okay with it, and they're like, yo, I can't believe we got into a sit-down, man. Just fuck, thank God. And Connolly, Kevin, was always he's the only one who was like, dude, this is a bad idea. I don't like it. This isn't going to work out good. And he was nervous, but fuck, man. I was going in with one of my boys who was taking me in, and that's just the way it is. And I just, I was going to face the music. And I was in like this certain mental zone where I just, I don't know, man. I was like sort of hyper conscious. And I just thought, I'm going in. It's daytime. 
We're going to talk this out. What's the worst that could happen? That's really what I thought. I didn't think anything was coming. So Leo looks at me. He's like, ah, you're underdressed, man. You got to put a better shirt on. So he's obviously got a thousand shirts from a thousand designers. I go in his closet. I pick out an extra large, dope-ass Armani long sleeve white shirt. I dress up a little better. I get in my car. Me and my boy head down to the spot. We go down there. Uh, we go to the front door. Front door is locked. I'm like, oh, man, this is weird. And we go around to the side door. We go to the side door, and I side door is open. I'm going in first. My boy's behind me. I walk in, and right in front of me is the dude that I got into it with. Right in front of me. And he's standing there, and he's got a fucking towel, like a Under Armour shirt on, and he looks mad. And right away, I'm up. Oh, I forgot to mention this because I'm such a bitch. For two or three days, I was sending him gifts. I was writing letters. I was sending gifts. I sent a few T-shirts. I wrote a couple love letters. I was like, hey, I didn't know who you were. I'm so sorry. I thought I was helping you out. Hope you like University of Arizona sweatshirts. Hey, I don't know what size you are, but this is a great material. Hey, check out these socks. Yeah, I'm sending a fucking straight-up gang motherfucker gangster. I'm sending him gifts. So I'm sending gifts. Obviously, I don't get a reply. Uh, I go into the door. I look at him. I start apologizing. Hey, bro, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't know what happened. I'm, I'm so sorry, man. And right away, he's like, don't worry about it, bro. We're going to talk over here. And he sends me into the other room. So the two rooms are connected. I go into a bigger room and I fucking look around, bro, and there's a fucking monster six foot five gangster with a gun, a nine millimeter pistol just walking back and forth. And there's his other buddy, same size but fatter. He's got his, his guns on the table. So I walk in, I got two guns to my right, I got homeboy behind me, and I got my friend behind me too. And everything just started to kind of like go in slow motion. And this is where... If you're ever in like a situation like this, it's really weird how real you think and how you stop, you know, how you go. There's fight or flight mode. I don't have a good flight mode. I have a fight mode. So my flight mode is like I got to start analyzing the situation. How am I going to stay alive? I go into survival mode. And I see that like the dude with the gun who's closest to me, I, I think to myself, he's holding the gun kind of loose. And he seems like a fat piece of shit slob who's just fucking dangling the gun and he's casual with it. So I know like he does this a lot and he's sort of like casual and I don't think he's going to kill me. But I think if I could get close enough to him and swoop the gun out of his hand, I could take him out and the other dude. That's the real shit that's going through my fucking mind. And this this podcast may never air because I'm going to decide if it's going to air or not. But I, it just I have to get these type of things off my fucking chest. Uh, so, so I go in, I'm fucking, he tells me to sit down and they're way, homeboy's loose with the gun. And I'm like, if I could just take this fucking gun and swoop it out, I'm good. I'm going to take this fat motherfucker out and his boy and the motherfucker and maybe my fucking friend, maybe my fucking boy that fucking put me in this spot. Maybe that's what's going to happen. So, because now I'm like, I'm just fucking upset. You know what I mean? I'm upset. And I'm thinking to myself, my next thought is, I can't have my family hear that I got shot in fucking, in a restaurant, you know what I mean, in the middle of the fucking day, and that's how it all ends for me. I just, that's the thought I was having. So I'm in survival mode. 
dude never gets that close to me. He points the gun at me, and they put me in a fucking booth. And he puts me in the booth, and he slams a table up against me, so I got no defense. So my arms are locked at my sides. My, my body's locked up in a booth. And homeboy, the other dude, the second gunman, gets up, and he fucking puts a gun to my boy. And he... This is what my boy told me. I never saw this happen, but this is what my, my boy said. He put the gun to his head and leaned him over a table. And so I go, I'm sitting in the fucking booth, and I'm still apologizing. Hey, man, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know who you were, man. I apologize, man. And before I know it, homeboy comes up to the side of me and takes out either brass knuckles. And I, only, I didn't see him take them out. I just knew that when he hit me, it was so heavy and hard that it was no way was it just his fist. So he starts blasting me. And I just remember the first punch, and I swear to God, I thought to myself, great punch. Heavy fucking punch. And it hit me square in the jaw. And then everything else was just like little pepper punches, just ba 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 And it went on for a while, and he knocked me out. He definitely, I was kind of out of it for a minute. I heard my boy scream, and dude went to town on me, fucked me up good, and when I came to, I was breathing fine, and I started just kind of feeling my limbs, and the, they had pulled the table away from me, and I started feeling my limbs, and I'm, I'm checking my legs, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm okay. I'm checking my arms, I'm like, oh my God, man, I'm fucking, I'm fine, like, and I was thinking, like, I can't even tell this dude that he didn't hurt me. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, I can't even... I got to pretend that this shit was worse than it was because I didn't feel any real pain. And so and so he pulls the table away and I look at my shirt and my shit's covered in a river of blood. So I know I'm fucking bleeding from somewhere. I just can't feel it. Pulls the shit away. And I'm, now I'm starting to mumble again. Why would you have to do it like this? What happened, man? I, I tried to apologize to you. I didn't know who you were. I, so I said, I'm sorry. And he pulls the fucking table away and he tells me, stand up. Just cold-blooded motherfucker he tells me to stand up oh and he's got bitch ass fucking italian opera playing on the stereo system i forgot to put that dramatic move in he's got fucking music playing and i remember looking at the stereo seeing the treble light like the red light of the treble and bass moving up and down yeah very dramatic this guy's an actor and so i'm fucked up i'm bleeding profusely uh he stands me up and he's like give me your shirt I'm like, what? He said, give me your shirt. Because obviously he didn't want me to walk out into the daylight with my shirt bleeding. I give him my shirt, apologizing, mumbling, why, why, why? I give him my shirt. They give me a fucking fresh t-shirt, like a straight up, this was like a straight out of Goodfellas. You know what I mean? Like this dude had his shit down to a science. It was efficient. I got to give him that. He was efficient. He's like, let's get him in. Let's fuck him up. Let's change his clothes and let's get him out. He gives me my shirt, a fresh T-shirt, and like this is how my comedy brain never shuts off. He gives me the shirt, and I'm thinking to myself, man, they could have got a better shirt. Like it doesn't really breathe a lot. I'm thinking if I fucking worked out in this shirt, I'd be, I'd be not feeling good. Like I wouldn't get a good sweat. You know what I mean? It's just too it's cheap, cheap cotton, bro. Cheap cotton. Hopefully, you know, you step up your fucking cotton beatdown game. So. He tells me that I need to get the fuck out of there. And oh no, he tells me, give me your license, give me your cell phone. Right away I lie. I don't have my cell phone. I don't have my license. I had both of them on me. Homeboy 
with the gun, puts the gun to my head, and he fucking taps me on the temple, and he's like, your license and your cell phone. I'm like, oh, maybe I do have it. Pulled out my license, gave him my license and my cell phone. They took my shit. He said, get the fuck out of here. So we start to walk out, and I turn around one last time, and I said, why, man? Like, why this? Like, why this dramatic of a reaction? Because I, I only hit him once, but I did rupture his eardrum, and I did from what I heard later, but I forgot. I had Apparently, I took a karaoke speaker, which is like a small speaker, and I smashed it on him because I was like, I'm the type of dude, like, I'm, like I said, I fight out of fear. I'm scared to get hurt. So I got to fuck you up every way I can so you don't hurt me. I don't take pain well. I'm not one of those dudes who likes to get punched and then gets mad. Nope. I'm half a bitch. I straight up to just protect myself because I do not like getting hit. I don't like it. I'm not tough when it comes to that. I'm skilled, not tough. There's a difference. You know what I mean? If you go read Mike Tyson's book, Fire and Fear, his whole motivation was fear. He did not like getting fu- you know, fucked with. He did not like getting punched. He attacked you and fucking took you out quick, early, based on fear. It's the theme of his book. Um, but then you go look at other dudes' style. You know, you look at Marciano. He didn't mind taking punches and going. It, it kind of motivated him. That's just a different breed of human. That's just not me. So I look at him, I was like, why this? He's like, you ruptured my eardrum, we're even, get the fuck out of here. And then I turned around and the big piece of shit with the gun tapped me one more time with the gun and he said, I should put two in your head. And that was exactly what he said. And it's funny because growing up outside Detroit, the dudes that were like, you know, the rough dudes, the the hoods and shit that I kind of grew up with that I knew, they would say, you know, toot to the head, you know, two to the head, da 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 be dead. Like, I remember that phrase, two to the head. And um, this must sound so crazy coming from a fucking comedian, writer, director, but I'm just, I'm, I don't know, man. I feel like, you, you know, certain stories just need to be told, and, you know, I'm not part of that world, so, um, and I'm done with that, so it's, you ain't coming to get me no more, anymore. So... Uh, I turn around, I start to walk outside, I go out into the daylight, my boy's driving, he's kind of like half crying, you know, this is like a tough kid, he's kind of like choked up and he's real mentally fucked up right now and I could tell, but I don't feel any pain, so I get in the passenger seat of my own car and I'm like, I look at my boy, I'm like, yo, is it bad? And he's like, it's fucking bad. I pull down the rear view mirror and I look like the elephant man. I look like a disfigured motherfucker who's never going to heal. I start crying like a baby because I can't believe it. It looks like I'm dying, like he could have killed me. My temple was swollen. My cheek was busted up. My nose was broken. My teeth were, I could start to feel more shit. And like all my bottom teeth were chipped from biting together so hard. And I knew I was fucked up. So we went right to the hospital and I had no phone, no cell phone, no license, nothing. I went in the hospital. They looked, they took one look at me and they rushed me into emergency. No paperwork, nothing. They were like, this dude's got a brain injury. We're going to put him in a CAT scan unit. And so they took me in. They put me in a CAT scan unit. And uh, 
and I got in the CAT scan unit and they took me out of the CAT scan and they were like, yo, no bleeding on the brain. The doctor's like, you're very lucky. I see no bleeding on your brain, uh, but we're going to have to stitch you up, get you in this room, blah, blah, blah. What happened? I'm sitting in there, my boy's in there and he's crying and I, I told him to call my brother. He called my brother. My brother hopped on an airplane two hours later. I called my godfather who, you know, you know, he said, you don't fuck with a guy like that who's 70 years old, who's connected to the Detroit, you know, combination, the syndicate for, you know, in the years when they were fucking, you know, taking 40,000 from Dean Martin for gambling. They're just people that they just have a different way of living anyway. Called him. He was my dad's best friend. That's why, you know, he's my godfather. Called him, called my brother. Everybody's calls went out. I told my boy who I was going to bring into the sit down. He's like, why the fuck didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that? I was like, I just trusted you, buddy. And I went with it. I figured we'd be okay. Anyway, I'm getting stitched up. I'm starting to heal up. Friends are showing up at the hospital. One of my boys was able to get my license and my cell phone back. And uh, he brought it to the hospital. And that night I went home and my brother was already in town talking about who we're going to kill and when we're going to kill him. And all kinds of wild ass real life fucking shit was going on. And I'm sitting there healing and my brother's there and a couple friends are there. My ex-girlfriend came over and she was crying. Anyone who looked at me just immediately was was grossed out, taken back and probably crying because I just didn't look like myself. So then Leo comes over and my other boys come over and they look at me and they're, I'll never forget, they're like pretending that I don't look like the elephant man, but they're kind of scared to come near me. And it really fucked them up. You know, it did fuck them up. But Leo brings over a fucking bottle of Jack Daniels and he brings over the game Rummy Cube. I'll never forget. I'm like, this sensitive ass motherfucker brings over Rummy Cube, but we're going to play Rummy Cube. Which, by the way, that night I drank Jack and we played Rummy Cube because I was alive and I wasn't bleeding on my brain and I got very, 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 very lucky to escape with my life that night. And so the healing process begins, but the trouble does not end. So I'm healing up and I'm getting better and the days are going by and I'm paranoid. I'm living paranoid because I'm getting phone calls that homeboy's ear still ruptured and he's fucked up over this and he might still be angry about me. And I put my people on, you know, kind of on standby. And like I said, man, you get so much love from doing comedy that you even get love from the dark corners of the world. And so I had probably... 12, 13 type of people, like 13 people who were like, hey man, we could use the work. Like, we'll handle this. Just go away for a while and just, it's all good. And this happened to me multiple times. I sat down with some fucking, you know, some people from, you know, motorcycle clubs. They're like, we'll handle it. I was like, no, thank you. I sat down with fucking people whose families are famous in organized crime. They're relatives. We'll handle it. No thank you. I went back to Detroit. I flew home for four days. I met with my godfather. I sat there in front of five 70-year-old dudes, Albanian, Italian, Jew, and two of their boys. I met them at a golf club, all men's golf club, 
<clears throat> my godfather's like, you know, you got to dress properly when you come here. I went there with my brother. We sat down. They said, Michael, here's the deal. You're done. This is Eve. You're done. He's done with you. You're good. He had to save face. You beat him up. You embarrassed him. He had to, you know, you, you can't, a guy like that, you just, he had to do something. He overreacted. Here's the deal. If you could want to go back to LA and you can do comedy and you're free and you know that you're good, let this just go. If you want to move back to Detroit and you think that you're paranoid and you think he's not done and this is going to continue, let us know. And I threw my hands up and I just said, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just good. I'm done. I want to get back on fucking stage. I want to tell fucking jokes. I want to write TV shows. I want to direct some movies. I want to get back to my life. I made a fucking big mistake and I did. Yes, he overreacted. Yes, he fucking took it to the next level. But I should have never jumped into a fucking mess that had nothing to do with me. I didn't know the dude who sang Elton John's song. For all I know, that guy could have banged his wife. I have no idea who that guy was. I can admit that I made a mistake. And there was also a moment in our fight where I could have backed away. I, I could have walked away. There was a second where I felt like if I walked away, I'd be good. But there was the other thought was, he's going to bite my nose off and I got to take him out quick. So I fucked up. I truly can admit that I, I made a mistake on that. Anyway, I meet with everybody. I put everybody, you know, I put everybody in check and I just say, thank you guys. I'm good. I'm just going to let this ride out and I'm done. Meanwhile, the dudes from the famous family, they start coming by the comedy store. They're hanging out. They're harass They go to that guy's restaurant 10 times. They fucking order food and harass him. I'm, I don't live in that world, so I'm nervous. I'm staying nervous. I stayed nervous for two, three years of nerves. Anytime a car was behind me, I was scared. Anytime a random fucking dude I didn't know was kind of lingering around me, I was paranoid. So post-traumatic stress disorder from a situation like this is extremely real. I still, years later, have little reminiscent, uh, little, um, little residue fallout from it there is no doubt about it you know i other people who are closer to that world and live in that world they would have reacted differently they'd have probably there'd have been a war going on and it would have been ugly but i'm someone that loves life man i love living i enjoy it man that's not my i'm not one of those dudes who goes out blazing in a fucking blaze of glory and it's better to burn out than fade away i don't believe in that i like fading fade me out you know what I mean? I don't need a fucking gunfight. That's not how I... I'm not built like that. You know what I mean? Some people are built like that. I saw people built like that. People were willing to go to the mat for me. You know? Built like that. And I went on with my life. Things got beautiful. I started doing stand-up again. I healed up probably three and a half, four months later. I was back on stage. Two months after that, I sold a show to ABC shortly after that my life got really cool and beautiful but every few weeks I would get visited by the organized crime division they would fucking be knocking on my door because there were obviously informants in the world nobody's no one's straight in this world everyone's fucking everyone's got their hands in both worlds and I didn't know whose world was whose 
And they would come to me and they would try to press me for fucking information. They would try to get me to go on the stand, blah, blah, blah. And I never did. And they did shit like pulled out pictures of me beating up at the, at the hospital, from the hospital. They were, uh, and I just stuck to the mugging story. And if you need to learn anything from this, don't be a fucking hero. I don't give a shit. I don't care if you see a guy and a girl arguing, screaming at each other, half shaking each other. Call the fuck. Call the police. Don't be a hero. It's pretty much never fucking worth it. You know? Now, granted, your brother, your mother, your cousin, someone's getting hurt in front of you, attack, kill. I'm all for that. But when it comes to just two strangers whooping each other's ass, and that's the one thing. I've never been more peaceful in my life. I've seen shit go down in front of me. I am a fucking spectator. I don't care. And people have even noticed for me there's like a new, that experience kind of put like this new zen vibe within me where I'm just able to be very much more chill than I was. Like I almost feel more settled in my skin and like, more centered and I hate that it took some crazy shit like that to happen but you know I don't know the reason I even told the story is because I've had 50 people be like I heard this crazy thing about you is this true I heard this story what's up dude did it really happen where you got had a sit down and the story became legend because my friends talked and it just couldn't stay a secret it was just one of those things and I wasn't out there talking about it but enough people were talking about it and random people had spread the word and I'd have random people come up to me at the comedy store like, dude, that's crazy. I heard what happened. That's what happened. I just told you what happened. And that's just another story that needed to be told. And that's it, man. 